0: Banning the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films, and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Battaglia.
1: Upon you now, nerds, is episode 73 of Down and Nerdy Podcast, where I gotta wonder if Hydra... Always stays hydrated.
2: Can you imagine if the Red Skull in the middle of August or beginning of August is sitting out there on his porch drinking ice cold lemonade and his skull turns blue?
1: I wonder if that really happens. You know, like the cold Rocky Mountains on the can or whatever. (laughs) Coors Light, like his (laughs) head turns to a Coors Light can.
2: He looks at he. He literally looks either like two things after that if that happens. Either a he looks like a member of the Cree or he looks like a Smurf after a horrible burn incident.
1: So when he drinks something, does he have to go Hydra?
2: Okay, you've gone too far, now.
1: <laughs> I'm James Witham alongside
2: the vertical one arm, Nick Pataglia.
1: When do I not go too far, though? That
2: is true. That is true. been doing a show for a little over a year now, and, uh, yeah, you, you just know how to tow that line, but you're not afraid to cross it. Well,
1: I'll tell you what I think was is probably going to end up crossing the line is the fantastic four movie i'm not really looking forward to seeing that this weekend no it's no especially
2: because we have to pay to see it i'm I'm literally it's one of those things where i'm like thank god for matinees just just thank god (laughs) you know it's a few bucks cheaper but uh, i'm not looking forward did you see the interview they recently did they're promoting it yes it was so awkward
1: Uh, oh my god and, and we've heard rumors that there's press embargoes on this movie which for, you know, it's kind of an industry term. It basically means, yeah, you can see it, but you can't talk about it until a certain time. So that to me right there says they don't want people talking about this movie. So I don't know. I'll be interesting to see if any of all this chatter actually affects the box office numbers or not, or what's going to happen. But we have plenty to talk about this week.
2: Exactly. Like, quickly, before we t- go into our main topic of who our guest is going to be this week, go back to the Fantastic Four. Did you see now they're saying like, "Oh, we're doing public screenings for everybody." It's like, yeah, yeah. It's it's a dumpster fire. Ten out of ten dump school bus fires for this movie. I, I'm going to probably give it.
1: Thought about calling the CIA actually.
2: Yeah, well, we actually we kind of did. Well, the CIA kind of called us in a sense because Tom King, who is the writer, of course, of the Omega Man series, and Grayson is our guest this week, and you know, a little bit of an interesting conversation talking about CIA days, and you know, it's pretty pretty awesome to hear some of the stuff he said about his career, and also that transition from going from CIA operative counterterrorism to writing.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't really see that transition a lot. But I think what you're going to find out is that that's the reason he brings so much to the books that he writes. Of course, he's also going to be doing Sheriff of Baghdad for Vertigo coming up in December. So very excited to get a chance to talk to him. Of course, we've always got a boatload of nerd news. Of course, we talked about Hawkman last week and we get Hawkman news. We actually have a casting this week. So we'll talk about that. And I've got a couple thoughts. I mean, am I, am I totally sold on it? I guess we'll have to find out a little bit later on. Yeah,
2: I'm actually interested to see what your take is on Hawkman. If you actually liked
1: it, well, I'm going to tell you right now, things that we may or may not like, going to be coming up next because we're going to talk about what we're reading. We do actually have two new comics this week, and we'll discuss that next on Down and Nerdy.
0: Hi, this is Bob Lee, Fast Escape Comics Card, Z Beach, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. <laughs>
1: Well, it's that time,
2: nerds. We got those long boxes and we discussed what we're reading. Of course, this segment always brought to you by the fine folks over at Fancy Escape Comics and Cards, Virginia Beach. Go see Bob, all the great art and all the great comics and magic cards he has and his artillery. And James,
1: it's been a while since we, uh, we, uh, we did two different comics. I'm going to be honest. I legitimately don't remember yeah. what we did the last time we both did two different comics. I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, do you remember because i don't i think i did a dc title but i'm not totally I, sure I, I think i did something from from either boom or Di- i don't remember so why don't you guys go back a couple weeks ago listen to the previous show not to, it was the show before we interviewed uh brendan fletcher and and annie Wu. i believe yeah
2: it was it was like two episodes ago i believe
1: yeah so go back you tell us Actually, maybe, you know what? Was it further back than that? Because was that San Diego Comic-Con? I think so. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> that was like three, four weeks ago. So, at this point, <laughs> what we're kind of begging you to do is binge listen to the podcast. Okay. I, I've got the list of our shows up right now. And I want you to I want you to listen to our last several shows. Last week, of course, was, you know, is Nerd Still Dirty Word? Which hopefully you enjoyed that show. Black Canary interview before that. And then we had San Diego Comic-Con. Yep. Our friend David Sobolov was on the show before that. And yep. then we had our part one episode of San Diego Comic-Con preview before that. <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> Oh, my God. I actually have an idea. I'm going to say this right now. To those who are listening, the fans who are listening, go back a couple episodes, a few episodes. Find out what was the last two books James and I did before we did Book of Death and then we did Transformers. What was the last two books we each did? Tweet us at DonaldNerdy757 or post on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash DonaldNerdy. And the winner, if you do it on Twitter, you get a follow from us.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Let's do that. Alrighty. And the
2: winner from Facebook, you get a like and you get a mention as well. On our page. Yeah, if,
1: if, if you have a Facebook page, like if you're a cosplayer or something like that, yeah, we'll, we'll pump you up for sure. Exactly. But, I mean, now we've got two new comics. What do we do?
2: I don't know. I think I should go first.
1: All right, you go first.
2: All right. Well, this comic I did. This really shows how much and how long it's been since we've done two different comics. Because this, I'm doing the first issue. Issue. It's the first two issues are out now. It's a monthly, but I'm going to do the Avenger or Justice Inc. the Avenger number one from Dynamite, and this came out June third.
1: So does yeah. this play off of the arc that you were reading before, where it was Justice, Inc., where it was the Shadow, Doc Savage, and the Avenger? Does that Because that was sort of leading into what this is going to be, right?
2: It does. It takes place after Justice, Inc., the original Justice, Inc. run. It was a, That was a four-part run, where the Avenger goes off and says, you know what, I'm going to start Justice, Inc. And he wanted Doc Savage to join him, he wanted the Shadow to join him, of course, Shadow... Getting his own book as well. It's going to be written by our friend called Bun. He's like, I want to go off and do my own thing. And then Doc Savage goes off and does his thing. So, anyways, this, of course, is written by Mark Ray- Wade. Illustrations done by Rolinson Freire. Colors done by Marco Lesko. And letters done by Troy Petiri. Of course, I want to point out the amazing cover by Alex Ross, which is Marco just-
1: Lesko. Yes. I like that name. Yes. Why don't I ever get names like that?
2: Because the world hates you.
1: Okay, let's move on. All right. But the cover by Alex Ross is amazing. It has
2: that old school look. Like when you look at it, even the Dynamite Entertainment logo is very classic looking. It looks like you pick up a comic from the 1940s because this is what this is based off on.
1: I like yeah. that when they when they have these period pieces like that, how you sort of, some artists will sort of draw it that way because I think that's the way you need to do it with books like this. And I think that makes it more appealing. It
2: does. And I'm a big fan. I love, I grew up as somebody who listens to the to old like mystery, noir-ish radio shows or on tape, my grandmother had, my dad was a big fan of them. If you're a fan of like 40s noir, you're going to love this series. And I really love this series. Now, the plot takes place, like I said, in 1940. It takes place uh, after the regular Justice, Inc. run, where, as I mentioned before, Richard Benson becomes the Avenger, sets up Justice, Inc., and he pretty much gets a case... Where he has to hunt down this ghost, which turns out to be the translucent man. Nice. And it's really, really awesome because it takes because when you look at something I like did I reviewed a while back when I reviewed the Topps Goldeneye run from the 90s, and I said the big problem with it was that it it pretty much the narration in it wasn't noirish, really. It was more he does this, he grabs this pole and slides down, you know, to the elevator shaft. And it, it forgot that it was a comic book and people could see what's happening. The great part of this series with the narration is that it knows it's a comic book, but it knows it's a noir comic book, so it doesn't give you every little detail. Okay. And, it, and it reads like you're reading a case file. Oh, that's neat. Like, you know, it really does. For example, like there's a part where uh, Benson, who is the Avenger, goes to his artillery and, and the narration says he goes to his artillery and looks over two guns. He calls Mike and Ike, or two weapons. He calls Mike and Ike, and Mike is this. And he gets all the specifics of the gun. And it, says, and it says Ike is this knife, which has all these little specifics on it. And it's amazing. It wow. really, really is, and it's it carries that it progresses the story a lot along really, really well. And what's great about the Avenger is after his accident where he you know gets exposed to really sub freezing temperatures mm-hmm. and his whole body, he can pretty much sculpt his face to anybody and look like anybody. And it's really a good noir and disguise look. And when I'm reading it, when I'm literally reading it, it's a noir piece. I had jazz playing in my head nice. <laughs> as I'm reading it. Like you're reading like an old noir thing and it felt amazing. The art the illustration by Freire is great. It gives a great detail, even though it's really a modern take, because it doesn't look like an old school comic. It gives great detail to the 1940s. It really, really does. The letters are great. Uh, the, like I said, the Mark Wade, and that's the great thing too, is that Mark Wade, through the narration, is talking to you through the narration, but you don't really feel like it's Wade. You feel like it's just either some old case file or it's just some narration, like that's old school narration. That's the way to do it. And that's the best part. Like I said, the writing is great. I got through issue two the other night, and I can't wait for issue three to come out. And I just—I really can't wait. This is a great monthly comic, and this really, really is something that I'm excited about. So, if you're a fan of the old noir, if you're a fan of dynamite, if you're a fan of indies, or just you—you like mystery, the way that you know—I'm not going to gloss go over issue two, but the way issue two ends it really gives you that heightened sense of danger. And it's really, really great. And the way that issue one ends, it makes you want to continue with issue two because it ends perfectly. And the way that's smart with these two comics is they end differently. One ends with a cutoff of him chasing translucent man and then number two ends with a sense of him giving off great danger, him being in grave danger. Wow! Great, great job by Dynamite. Great, great job. So again, this is a pull for me. Again, I did Justice Inc. The Avenger, number one. Go pick up this series. The first two issues are out. Next issue is coming out in the month. Uh, go pick it up, man.
1: It's it's amazing. I also did number one. You did. So I went with Boom Studios this week, and I went with John Flood number one. Now you're like, Ooh. what the hell is John Flood number one? Well, I'm going to tell you. It's a creator-owned comic, actually. It's written by Justin Jordan, who created this character. All art was done by Jorge Colo, colors by Tamara Bond villain, which I think is a great name, and letters <laughs> by the that? great Ed Dukeshire. Now, let me give the, I'll give you the description that's kind of straight from Boom Studios, so I don't kind of mess this up. Basically, John Flood is the government experiment on him, and he no longer needs to sleep at all. So he's in a constant dream state. But the problem with that is he can't always tell what's real and what's not. That's the side effect of what he has from not sleeping. So I can totally relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, he would love to have – so it's kind of like – it's kind of like he's kind of uh, gone off and – like he doesn't need sleep, but it's kind of like they've inputted him um, uh, what's the thing where you can't sleep
1: insomnia insomnia they've given
2: him like live action insomnia
1: in a way that kind of plays off in the in the issue but here's the funny part he's pi so basically (laughs) it starts out not with him though i mean it starts out with him in the beginning but the real story it's almost like you know how some comics start like remember batman eternal started and you saw the end right there at the beginning and then they got into the story that's kind of how this started out where he's kind of in a sticky situation, let's put it that way. So it's
2: kind of like Memento-esque, where you kind of put the pieces from yes. backwards to forwards. Okay.
1: Yes, exactly. And basically, what we start off with is a cop named Alex Berry, who we don't really know a lot, whole lot about what he did because it's just a blurry cell phone picture that's in the in the issue. But basically, he's accused of a crime. He was accused of a crime, but not convicted. But now he's kind of a pseudo celebrity, and he's kind of pushed off to the side a little bit by society, and he gets tracked down by Flood's assistant, Lita, who's kind of like this eccentric young girl, and says, do you want a job? Because it looks like you need a job. Now, while all this is going on, there's a murderer in the deep, deep woods, and basically this is going to be the main baddie for the series. This Picture the biggest, broadest-shouldered dude you know. Okay. That is this villain, and it's pretty sadistic. I mean, at one point during one of the panels... He's sitting on a couch, having a beer with two dead bodies that he just killed, okay? Huh. So this guy, it's its pretty messed up. We don't know a whole lot about him or why he's, why he's doing this right now, other than that he's a lunatic. So when we finally meet Flood about halfway through the issue, to say he's eccentric really doesn't do it justice, I don't think. Uh, it kind of reminded me of a cross between... Like a three-way cross between Sherlock Holmes, Doc Brown from Back to the Future, and House. Nice. I mean, it was a really interesting character. I mean, and as they go through his house, his literal house, which is like a mansion, but it looks run down. Every time they go through a room, there's a different activity. Like, the first you see all these books. And then you see maps where he's mapping out the world and stuff like that. Because he doesn't sleep, so he needs stuff to do.
2: So and then they open up another door. It's the eyes wide shut party.
1: Yeah, I, hey, wow! Well, I hope they don't go there because that would be, uh, wow, that would be <laughs> eye opening <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but I mean, the fact that she even got Barry to go with her because she was—it's almost like you're—he went because he was intrigued, and that's one of the reasons you kind of keep reading this issue because you're intrigued. You don't really know where it's going to go, and he gets the vague description of this case that he's working on, and it's clearly this case where there's a murder in the woods. So that he's clearly working off of this case. The only thing that was interesting was they don't really make it clear why he's working on this case. Right. Or if this is something that he just, that, uh, that flood just saw. So he's working on the case on his own. And I didn't feel like we got a whole lot of flood in the issue, even though it's called John flood. I think we got more Barry in this first issue and kind of convincing him to come along on the case, which of course eventually he does. Now, the writing was very smart, especially for the John Flood character. He's that character on a show that you watch. You'll watch the show just for him. Right. Kind of thing. He is that character. He's the one that you always want to come back for. It's smart. It's quirky. It's funny. And I think that Justin Jordan's created a great character here, and it's written very smart. The whole series is really. The art's a little bit inconsistent. There are times where it's really good, and then there's other times where it just feels like it was a bit rushed. The scenery itself, the scenery around the characters is always very striking and sometimes even a little bit distracting because your eye goes to the great scenery sometimes instead of the actual characters. Now, this is not a limited series. So, I mean, some of the criticisms I might have for where it's going and not really giving a whole lot of answers. Okay, I kind of get that. If it was a limited series, I think it should move a little bit faster But because it's not. I think it's okay that they're going a little bit slow here. So for me right now, this is a pickup. I can't give it a full pull right now because I don't feel like I got enough of the John Flood character, but I'm really kind of expecting that in issue two. So this is one of those things where if I revisit it in a month in issue two, I really think that I might consider moving this to a pull instead of a pickup because it really was a very cool series.
2: So what you're saying is you hope they don't flood him out of his own book.
1: Oh, yes. They're slowly (laughs) being infected. Yes, I hope they don't do that. And what's funny was is there was a pool in the the, the issue and there was no water in it. Oh. So no floods there either.
2: Well, that's going to do it for what we're reading. So put away those long boxes, folks, until next week. But coming up, we have a new trailer we're going to be discussing. So stay tuned. More Down Nerdy coming up next.
0: This is comic book writer and co-creator of Deadpool,
2: Fabian Nicieza, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Well, nerds, it's time to get eyewitness protection and start sleeping with the fishes, because this week, Nick, Gamescom gave us a really big trailer for Mafia 3
2: exactly I want to preface first before we dive into the Mafia 3 trailer for those of you who thought we were going to review Deadpool we already did we did during our San Diego Comic Con uh, show because we saw the leaked footage when it Mm -hmm. got online so there's really no sense in doing it again because it was the same footage as last time
1: yeah so go back and listen to our San Diego Comic Con episode episode 70 if you want to know what we thought of the Deadpool trailer and that was without stuff cut out of the Deadpool trailer either so we actually reviewed the San Diego Diego Comic-Con version that had more footage in it. So that's why we decided to do Mafia this week and also because people are going nuts over this trailer, and rightfully so.
2: Well, yeah, I mean you watch the trailer, and anytime you start off a trailer with All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix, mm-hmm. yeah, and then you show some like Vietnam War footage. Yeah, man, you get my attention. And I played I've played both Mafia games. I played one and I've played two. And I played one. One thing I like about Mafia. The game overall is, unlike Grand Theft Auto, it's more realistic in terms of when you're driving, you actually have to obey the speed limit or you get pulled over. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it plays like a real world game, really, because you have laws you actually have to follow. Whereas, you know, in in, uh, Grand Theft Auto, oh, I got the cheat codes or whatever like that, or I can Mm -hmm. go 100 miles an hour in this car and not get stopped. I can drive a tank and I can stop here. (laughs) It's more realistic.
1: Project. I think you I think you get that that's a good point that you bring up actually because if you as you watch this trailer and it's 4 minutes long by the way which I thought was great yeah that's what you get you get that realistic feel Without, throughout this trailer. And one of the things that I loved about this too, and I know a lot of games are going this route, but this felt this way for me especially. It feels so cinematic. Yeah. And not a lot of games really do that. I know some of the, the good ones do, but this one really felt like you were actually watching a trailer for a movie, not a game.
2: Well, yeah, that's the thing. Is even going back to Mafia 1, a lot of people, and that came out, I believe, in 2002, mm-hmm. and a lot of people... Uh, were like, oh my god, I feel like I'm playing, you know, a movie. And granted, you go back now, I believe it was for PS2, and, you know, yeah, the graphics aren't that great, but again, just the way the cameras move, the way that everything's shot, just the overall, you know, voices and everything else, it was great. And this is, you know, 3 is being done by 2K, and here's the thing, too, is I think you look at, like, the old school, go back to the Mafia games, 1 and 2, they take place... In the 1940s, 1950s era, uh, especially number two did. Number two took place, started off in 1941, ended around 1952, 53. Mm-hmm. And you look at that, and a lot of people I know I saw some comments are like, well, how can they go away from the whole Italian mob? This doesn't feel like Mafia at all. Well, the Mafia three. It takes place in around the 1960s, like probably about 1968 after Martin Luther King got assassinated and after ra- when racial tensions were high, had the whole anti-Vietnam uh, rallies. That's there was a was
1: lot of tensions. There was they're a lot high. of tensions. So why not do this?
2: Well, and again, it's one of those things where you, know, you want to say, oh, well, the mafia and everything else. Well, think about it this way. they you know, it's set in Louisiana. And you have now the black mob you're actually being a part of. And, again, it just goes to show how the mafias... When people think mafia, they think, oh, it's Italians, that's it. No, there's more.
1: No, there's Russians. There's, the like you said, the black mafia. There's also a a lot of others. I mean, even the Israelis had their own mob uh, at one point that, that worked in America. So, I mean, it's not just the italians and i think that people need to realize that and i think that's what this game is gonna do and i think that it'll play up that tension of the era as well and like you said the vietnam war footage that was there and it was implied to the character that was that's in the game was actually over in vietnam and he talks about that's how you know what brotherhood really is kind of thing
2: yeah the main character's name is who we play as is lincoln and again he's in New Orleans, he joined up with the black mob to dismantle what's left of the Italian mob and build a new family of his own. Now, when you're watching this trailer, you might see somebody who, if you've played the past couple of Mafia games, who is a recurring character, a mostly recurring protagonist, and that is Vito. And it's been confirmed that it's him. The only thing with him is he looks like Paulie Walnuts from Sopranos. And I'm he like, does. what? But well, what, well, what I'm saying is, like, Wait a minute. So fifty-four. He's born, he says born in twenty-five. Okay, in, the, in Mafia Two. So ends in about nineteen fifty-one. So he's like in his what thirties or forties. So like by much by the time sixty-eight rolls around, he's in his forties. I'm like, dude, where he has gray hair like
1: that? Hey, if you were in the mafia, you'd be a little stressed out. And so the, I think you would be. After but that's gray the thing hair. too
2: is is the way the end, Mafia Two ends it ends. Kind of very open, where you don't know what's going to happen to Vito, and it turns out, well, he's with this crew now, mm-hmm. and he has to have the crew includes Cassandra, an Irish thug named Burke, and again, you have Vito in there as well. Now, unfortunately, the only thing about this, from what stuff I read, you won't—it's not going to be like Grand Theft Auto 4 or Grand Theft Auto 5, where you can switch from character to character. This one, you're only going to be playing as Lincoln.
1: I mean that's a shame, but I mean that's one of those things you can kind of let it go because the game the gameplay just looks like it's going to be so good. There was a line in this trailer. I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't remember it exactly. Where he's driving in the car and they're showing you the scenes of the uh, Vietnam War, and he said, "I had to go against God to find out what family really was and where I belonged." And I was like, "Dude, yeah, man." I this mean, is- and then you see the blood over the jukebox and stuff like that. And I mean, I was like, "This is just..." This is deep. This is heavy. It almost made me forget that this wasn't even about the Italian mob. You don't, I, If you actually watch this trailer and start getting a feel for the game, I don't even know that you care that this doesn't have anything to do with the Italian mob.
2: No, like it's one of those things where, again, it's kind of like the Grand Theft Auto thing where you're in Liberty City for so long. You're like, come on, can you yeah, just yeah. plot some other city? And they do. And this time, like I said, it's New Orleans, whereas the other ones are more set in New York City and everything else like that. You know, in Oyster Bay and everything else. Here, I'm like, okay, change the scenery is good. And a lot of people are saying, well, hopefully it's a open more open world instead of just really a sandbox. And I think the thing is, since Grand Theft Auto v, I think a lot of people are kind of putting some unnecessary pressure on 2K because it's like, you know, after Grand Theft Auto 5, which just blew the doors off of sandbox gaming, just open world gaming in general, people are like, okay, the bar has been set. And 2K, I mean, Mafia's been good. You know, a lot of people say that, well, the writing has been great in terms of story. And I'll admit, 2 kind of had some downfalls. It kind of felt a little bit quick in terms of story and some things you might not have gotten out of it. Uh, some cutscenes you kind of wish you saw certain things happen yeah. that you didn't see. But overall, I mean, when I watched this trail from Mafia 3, I like I said, like what you said, when I saw that it, it was like four minutes long, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. yeah. You know, holy Jesus. And. But again, you know, he had the swamps, and he had the whole. Th- he's taking a guy, some guy, out to the to the, to the marsh and the swamplands, and oh yeah, something tells me that whereas in Grand Theft Auto Five, where you know San, you know uh, San Andreas areas like that, are Prince's own character. I think that the, the Swamplands in New Orleans is going to be its own character. I think if you've seen something like True Detective, if you've seen something that takes place in Louisiana, at least the first season, uh, if you've seen some of the other things that they kind of, like Boston, if you ever you go to Boston in real life, if you watch the movie The Town, Boston, the city, is its own character oh, because no it jokes. has all these different roads that are a maze and everything else. and I mean, it acts as its own character.
1: I've been to New Orleans, so trust me, this city is its own character. It's one of the most unique cities that you will ever go to. And back in that era, I can imagine even more so. Maybe we'll get a little bit of a witch doctor element, some voodoo stuff that's going to be going on in this as well. I wanted to go back to your point for a second about the whole open world thing and how that kind of blew the doors off. And I'll go and I'll reference Arkham Knight because Arkham Knight was a lot more open world with the past Arkham games with the Batmobile being introduced and being able to drive that and everything, and that was actually, that actually kind of turned out to be one of the criticisms of Arkham Knight because, you know, how well did that really work out for him? So the, the wanting this to be more of an open world thing, I kind of understand that, and I certainly know what you're saying about Grand Theft Auto because I think in that sense it works, but when you've got such a story-driven game like this, and I don't think that Grand Theft Auto is as story-driven, but when something like this is so story-driven, I don't think that open world is necessarily a big deal. I think that it, it can almost be a detriment and distract from the real story.
2: Not to talk too much about Arkham Knight, but I want to go back to that since you mentioned it. One of my criticisms about Arkham Knight was, you know, the big buildup was, you can, you can instead of going through like Arkham City and an asylum, you have all of Gotham to play with now. Well, when you're driving around the Batmobile, you're flying around the city, it feels really, really small. Compare in the comparison when you look at a game like Grantham's Auto, where it has the entire pretty much state or most parts of like LA, something like that with California, it feels like you know it takes you 20 minutes to drive from you know the city where Michael is to the outskirts where Trevor is. Right, and exactly. It felt really expanded. Where again, and Batman, I turn a corner with a Batmobile, I'm like, I was. Wait, I'm ready. I was on this island. Now I'm mainly on this island, and it just took me like single yeah, finger to get I there. Just here. <laughs> but again, that aside, yeah, open world. I think a lot of pressure comes. We put a lot of pressure on things to be open world because you know we want to explore more because you know people want to do the achievements. There are people out there who will actually go out and get all 250 Riddler trophies. I don't know how they much time they in their lives they actually pay attention to that. I don't know why they would, but they yeah, do. I don't either. Uh, But, you know, you have those people who are very OCD when it comes to achievements and accomplishments. So, again, I think that's why the big push for Open World is happening. But you got to remember, though, this is New Orleans. You're not going to go all the way to, like, you know, Baton Rouge and everything else. Yeah,
1: this is different. Plus, I hear Baton Rouge is really boring for the most part, other than being a little bit of a college town. So... I mean, I I think you want to kind of be in a bubble a little bit here. I mean, I think there's going to be times where you're going to want to go to the outskirts, and I think that we'll explore that. certainly did uh, in this trailer. But at true open world, I don't think it's absolutely necessary. So I hope that they don't put too much focus on that because I think it'll take away from what looks like is going to be a great story.
2: So before before I move on to nerd news, just final impressions. uh, What's one thing you hope to get out of this game when it does come out?
1: I want to get... It seems like we are going to get flashbacks in this game, and I think flashbacks are a little dangerous. I think errors kind of proved that. If we get flashbacks, I want them to be story-driven. And I don't want them to be something that distracts from what's going on. I want it to be something that's going to push the story forward. So I th- it looks like we are going to see flashbacks. I want it to be an element of the story for cutscenes. I don't want it to be something that actually distracts from the story. And it's something that I'm basically going to go, you know, like get a refill on my drink or something while the flashback is playing.
2: Well, I do echo your flashback concern. One of my things, I want to go back to a game. I don't know if you ever played it. called L.A. Noir. And... I liked the game a lot. The way it ended, I didn't like. but one thing I liked about LA Noir that I hope it goes into Mafia is that when you're interrogating people and you, they give you like four options for each interrogation kind of thing like you're having a conversation and it changes the outcome each time it actually changes the storyline too. With Mafia, I kind of hope one of those things happen. like if you go ahead to you know put a hit out on somebody and they end up getting away from you, the story changes, you mm-hmm. know, you get, you get, you know, found out and stuff like that.
1: Blade Runner for PC, the Blade Runner game did the exact same thing. Yeah. So that were you, when you said that, it reminded me of that.
2: I would like something like that where, you know, whether you pass, you fail, the story just continues and continues and continues. I wanted to be where more realistic. Cause again, this isn't Grand Theft Auto, this is Mafia where it's more set in real time, where more realistic things can happen so, again, I want there to be real-world consequences with this.
1: I think that that's a, a very good thing, and I think that this game is going to be a really big winner when it comes out for 2K. But, you know, we're going to ask you about your business. I know you're not supposed to do that, but we got plenty of nerd news. It's coming up next on Down and Nerdy.
0: Hey, what's up? This is Brandon Chap Robinson, the
2: director of the Harley Quinn web series, and you're listening to the coolest nerds ever on the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, it's so that time, nerds. We go around the interwebs and see what's trending. It's time for what, James? Nerd news! News, 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 news. And we actually have some big breaking news that actually happened around
1: 1 o'clock in the morning, actually. Yeah, what is that about, Sony? Thanks a lot for that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh, so there's some changes that are going to be going around at Sony, and preferably... When it comes to the dates, now Sony released their entire film slate through 2017. We're not going to go through the entire film slate, we're only going to talk about the movies that pretty much apply to the show. Wait a
1: minute, we're Plus not is- going to talk about Barbie?
2: <sighs> Unless Aqua is going to be doing a reunion tour, I could give two shits about Barbie. Okay. So anyways, so there was some changes to some previous dates, let's start off with those first, so Paul Feig's Ghostbusters moves- movies... Moves up one week to July 15, 2016, from July 22nd. Uh, Sony has already dated the next live action Spider Man movie for July 28th, 2017, with Phil Lauren and Chris Miller. Animated Spider Man film on July 20th, the following year. Now, going on to some dates again, you have Ghostbusters, 7 15, July 15, 2016. Patient Zero, which I believe. I wanna say it's gonna be a zombie movie. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. <laughs> Underworld 5, they can't believe they still make those. Uh, why?
1: Why, yeah. why, why?
2: Uh, now here's one movie I kind of wish they wouldn't touch is Jumanji. Thank you. I really, like, I really don't want that to What remake. was wrong with the original? I don't know, dude. it was even more fun like Jumanji was the only movie where the board game, I all that's all I wanted to play. My when found my stepbrother has a Jumanji board game,
1: I'm like, dude... Weren't w- you a little nervous, though, <laughs> playing that just in case?
2: No, I actually... When I was <laughs> younger, dude, the game came out, on, on, you know, the board game, I
1: wanted that shit to happen. Now I that's...
2: I was at that stupid point of a stupid childhood where you actually thought that shit was gonna happen.
1: Here you're like, screw it, I've already got one arm. What have I got to lose now? Yeah, next <laughs> I said I got
2: a tail grind on my ass and shit. <laughs>
1: what what if you what if you grew like a paw or something on the other arm? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, it's you like, got like a lion's uh, paw on one uh, arm?
2: Like, not even like the full arm grows back, just the fucking paw. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I look like, you know, the yeah, I didn't go through the manufacturing. But process. you could
1: get the best. You could have the best itches ever, though. You get an itch, you're good. God, it'd be
2: like having like one of those little, you know, those little uh, things you get from the gumball machine—little sticky hands. Yeah, there you go. Get one of those. Well, st- usually you
1: have sticky hands for a different reason.
2: Uh, well, hand in this case. Uh,
1: yes, that's
2: true. But anyways, a movie that's coming out that a lot of people are actually looking forward to. I actually read the book. My mom actually is a big fan of this book series, The Dark Tower. It comes out January thirteenth of 2017. Of course, it's a big Stephen King novel.
1: Yeah, and then speaking of movies that I can't believe they're still making, we're going to be doing Resident Evil 6 I on mean, January 27th of 2017.
2: I believe that's actually, I, I want to say I read a story where I believe they said that it's, they're going to end it at 6, I believe. But, I hope so,
1: because... I you know, know was, Hollywood, though, uh, I mean... Well, I mean, they're already—they're going to make another Nightmare on Elm Street movie now. They're going to reboot I that. I mean, well, come on, stop it!
2: Well, I mean, it's been five years since they rebooted it last time. I'm just like, oh man, just really?
1: Stop it! Well,
2: I mean, at least a well, good. sucks news because is, well, sorry to cut you off, but it sucks because like Freddy Krueger is my favorite all-time favorite horror villain, and, and just horror person. I mean, Freddy Krueger is the reason why New Line Cinema exists.
1: Yes, absolutely.
2: And so my thing is, I, why? Just, just why?
1: Stop it. Just stop it. I mean, seriously, knock it off. But I mean, we'll round it out with uh, the movie that I think we're really looking forward to that's Uncharted. It's going to be in June of June 30th of 2017. So if you look at this list of all the movies, what's the one that sticks out to you that actually you go, yes, I can't wait for this other than Spider-Man?
2: Oh, Dark Tower, hands down, man. I love that book series. I love the book, Dark Tower. It was literally one of, I remember, (laughs) I actually remember this. Uh, I was in summer school one year and, it, uh, as punishment, one of my things was, you know, I read comics and stuff like that, but one of my punishments was I had to read a certain book every day, at least every week. And I, and I couldn't choose. My parents had to give it to me, especially my mom had to choose the book for me. And like, I remember one time, like the first one of the books they gave was like Tim Allen's, uh, don't stand too close to a naked man autobiography, <laughs>
1: Nice,
2: uh, which was a great
1: read. It is.
2: And then my mom says, okay, you're, you know, summer school's ending, you got one more book to read, hands me this thick book, and it's, you know, paperback, and it's The Dark Tower. And I got hooked probably 10 pages in, and it was, I can't wait for it. It Plus, it's one of those movies where, it's like the Deadpool movie, where it's been years they were talking about, we're going to do a Dark Tower movie, and we're
1: finally
2: getting it, you know?
1: It's kind of out of the comfort zone of Stephen King, too, where he's doing something a little different, too. So that's why I like the fact that they're finally going to do this and kind of show a different side of Stephen King. But speaking of different things, we talked about Hawkman last week. Well, hold week.
2: on, hold on. I got to ask you, what movie are you oh, looking yeah, more forward right. to?
1: Um, I mean, Dark Tower was definitely one that stood out to me just based on this. I had never read the book, so somebody was just reading the description. It jumped out at me. It really did. I, I would love to say that I'm looking forward to the Ghostbusters movie. I, I can't say that. So I'm, I'm going to say Uncharted.
2: Did you see, okay, since we've mentioned Ghostbusters, that picture went viral of the Ghostbusters, the new Ghostbusters, um, the female Ghostbusters, visiting a hospital for, yes. like, make wishes like that. Yes. And they're taking a picture with like it looks like to be, like, a dad or a, or a brother. And the little girl who's in the hospital bed has this look of, like, fucking really...
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, man, I mean, I know it's great that they did that. I'm not going to say it's not. Oh, no, it's great they did
2: that. I just find the picture
1: hilarious. <sighs> it is, it is it, hilarious. Because her,
2: cause her cause the little girl's response kind of reflects how a lot of people feel.
1: <laughs> I mean, the, the uniforms just look like they weren't there to, to take pictures with the kids. It looks like they were there to work on the floor or something. I mean, it well, doesn't well, look well, like Ghostbusters uniforms.
2: I'll, I'll say more fight fires. Like they got a fire, firehouse auction or something like that. I, I just don't get
1: it. But I don't, I don't want to go off too much on that because we'll have plenty of chances to talk about that. Right. But speaking of Hawkman, yes, James, go ahead. Yes. And we got finally, one week later, it didn't take very long. We got casting news for Hawkman. It looks like it's going to be Falk Henschel, Jim and man, who's going to be playing the guy from the, the Thangarian with the Nth metal in his blood. And I got to tell you, we saw him in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, for an episode. He's not the big, huge, hulking Hawkman that I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think?
2: Well, I'm glad Jake pointed out because, like, I, I went back. and I watched all of Shield. I'm, I'm gonna tell you right now, my opinion on the show and general has changed. I actually like the show because I went back, not to dive too much deep into it, but I went back and just watched it for what it really was, which is nerd's version of Blacklist.
1: Yeah, I it, never not liked it. I just wanted it to be more. Yeah, long. I was just, I was, I was hard on it. It's like the, it's like the kid that that the coach is hard on because they see. Oh, yeah, Potentially potential? has, yeah. so they're always you know giving him a hard time. That's all I. Ha- That's the only reason I felt that way about Agents of Shield. I, I still like the show, but... and and I think that this casting will probably won't be one of those that grows on me because it's one of those things where, as a nerd, it's not. It's hard to not get that image in your head of oh, yeah. what you think somebody should look like, and, and he and he did very well on Agents of Shield. So I'm just looking at him like, ah, is this the right way to go? And I think it probably could be. Well,
2: there was a photo I saw of him. It was now mind you, it was 2008, I believe, and he was actually like part of a, a human exhibit in a you know museum or something like that. And yeah, he didn't really have the biggest build. Uh, but again, he tweeted out, you know, I guess I hit the gym. You know, damn it, no more pizza. <laughs> it was just great. I, again, look at it this way. I think maybe when you saw Steve, Stephen Amell before Arrow, I don't think he was the biggest guy. But uh, I mean, for Christ's sakes, look at like Chris Pratt. You know what I'm saying? Like a guy. Yeah, who was, Chris
1: Pratt is a good example.
2: Who was an average, stocky guy, works his ass off for like a month and just is totally, you know, built and shredded. Um, again, we're not gonna get the hulking Hawkman, but I think we're gonna. You know, he's gonna be a good size. Again, the gym works wonders. And I mean, again, is he's getting personal training? You know, they're just giving him yeah. a trainer to work with. You know, again, I, I have faith in, in how he's going to look. I oh, want to see, I want see the suit, really. Yeah,
1: that's what I was just going to say. As long as they get the suit and the helmet right, I don't think it really matters whether he's huge or not. I know that that's been an early criticism of the casting. But, again, you just need a guy with that, like I said before, with that cocky attitude and and the oh, mixture yeah. of the temper and the cocky attitude. I think that's more important than anything else. But i got to tell you, you want to talk about looking the part? You move on to Legends of Tomorrow and the casting of Vandal Savage. Nobody has ever looked more like a character, ever.
2: Well, I I, I would I would actually say well since to- Robert Downey Jr. got the Tony Stark role. Oh yeah. But yeah, Danish actor Casper Crump, uh, who is going to be in Warner Brothers Tarzan film playing Captain uh, Kirchover, he's going to be Vandal Savage. And yes, holy shit, does he look? Closely if not exactly like him.
1: I mean it's ridiculous. You see you, you let his hair grow out a little bit, he's Vandal Savage. It's it's unbelievable. And I gotta tell you, tell you right now, Casper Crump, the biggest the best white rapper name ever. <laughs> I'm sorry. If he ever <laughs> he decided says- to go into hip hop, I'm sorry. It would be over. Danish hip hop, look out.
2: If if Harry Potter was in- Mixed with 8 Mile, Casper Crump would be the main character.
1: I mean, think about it. Casper Crump, go and give it to you. Okay, Casper, stop.
2: Just, okay. stop. Right, just, just stop. Just just stop. You're a white boy from Virginia. Just stop.
1: Yes, and, that, and I have New Hampshire blood in there, too, so that's...
2: Even more reason. Is, Marky, you're not Marky Marking the Funky Bunch.
1: That is not happening. No. <laughs> but, no, I'm very excited about this because, you know, he's he's got the build. He's got the look. Um, from what I haven't seen him in a whole lot of stuff. People in the UK, our listeners over in Europe, you know him better than we do. Yeah. So what we've heard from you is good, good things. So I'm very excited for that.
2: And then of course, we have one more casting news from the DC. TV Universe. Keenan Lonsdale has been cast as Wally West in season two of The Flash. Of course, Lonsdale played Uriah in the Insurgent series as well. Your thoughts, Mr. Flashman.:
1: And I, I was not a fan of uh, that Divergent series, so I don't know a whole lot about him. Yeah. but uh, I think that they, I think that they're going in the right way here. They're, you know, they got a night they got a young guy. They're going to follow more of like the new 52. Wally West, it looks like, which I don't have a problem with at all. It's just going to be very interesting to see how they work him in and Jay Garrick in. And That's Doom what I wanted to bring up,
2: because I'm like, this, this next season, too, one thing I fear uh, that a lot of shows do, I kind of fear that Gotham's kind of doing it, too, a little bit. Or mostly like like, Arrow. Well, has the criticism of
1: Gotham from the beginning.
2: Right, but my thing was, like, I really hope we don't put too many characters in, because now it's like, Okay, why don't you just get Jay Garrick? That's fine because, again, he was teased at the end of season one. But bring in Wally West. and then you're probably bringing the Speed Force now. And and you have Zoom coming in. Yeah, like, that's
1: fine. Bring the Speed Force in. But I, I agree with you. I'm a little worried because, and I know there was excitement to bring in Wally West. I totally get that because Wally West is a fan favorite. For me, the Flash show is going to be Barry Allen because that's what I grew up with. So for some people, grew up with Wally West. So the Flash will always be Wally West for them, and that is fine. What I'm worried about is there was so much excitement to bring him in that they're going to bring Jay Garrick and Wally West in the same season. That's too soon. I don't know why you can't just go with Jay Garrick season yeah. two and then in season three or even near the end of season two, you bring in Wally West. And I'm just—I'm not saying it's not going to work. What the hell do I know? They, or, might, they might find a way to make it work great. I'm just like you. I'm a little worried. It's going to be too much too soon. And then what are you left with in season three?
2: Well, here's my thing is – I wish they kept Jay Garrick. You know, I want. I wish they just went mostly with Jay Garrick in season two, and kind of. I wish they did what they did with Barry Allen and Arrow before the Flash came out with Wally West. we like towards the end of the second season, we get introduced to Wally West. You know what I'm saying? And you know, we see something that happens to him. I don't know if he already has the power or not. Who knows? Um, and maybe they. And maybe they do that. Maybe they do do that. I don't but, know. But
1: I don't know. And but the, the, announcing the casting now leads me to believe that. That's not what's going to happen, but you need Jay Garrick now because Barry's going to need that mentor kind of, oh, yeah. you know, second father figure after what happened with his mom at the end of season one. So he, this is the perfect time to bring in Jay Garrick. And of course they teased it with the, with the helmet coming out in the season finale and everything. So to put Wally West in there after the fact I, I really hope that if, the, if they're going to do it in this season, they don't wait, maybe not until the end of the season, if they're going to do it towards the end of the season, I think that's the time you want to do it. I think if you do it too early, you run the risk of, like you said, cramming too many things in there.
2: Exactly. Well, speaking of taking cramming too, too many things into one show, something big is being taken out of another show is the Headless Horseman from Sleepy Hollow. Now, and they
1: don't just end there either, that's my problem. Oh
2: no, I'm going to get to that right now. So in an interview with TV Guide, new showrunner Clifton Campbell, he revealed that, of course, the Headless Horseman will be missing from Season 3 of Sleepy Hollow. He said, quote, "...we have a new framework and a new set of rules for the mythology, and it all starts with the introduction of our new big bad and will take us into a very interesting device which will allow us to see somewhat more compelling, more more personal threat to both Abby and Crane, close quote. Now, as James, you said, this isn't the only thing, because the entire Crane family arc into which the Hell's Horseman was woven into has been scrapped. John Noble's character was written out, as well as Katie Winter. Others who will no longer be with the show include Orlando Jones as Frank Irving and Matt Barr as Holly. Now, I don't watch Sleepy Hollow. I honestly, since the giant debt movie haven't, Really watch Sleepy Hollow or anything has to deal with it. So as someone who I believe you watch the show, right? Mm-hmm, I do. What are your takes on this?
1: I got to tell you, I'm a little disappointed because I thought they really ended on a good note on season two last season, where they had you, you had kind of Katrina turn after. Well, we knew that uh, we knew that John Noble's character was going to be back because he sort of died at the end of season two, so you knew he wasn't going to be back. But then you had that whole, you know. Ichabod kills his son kind of thing. And his wife now Katrina turns against him. So then that was going to be the driving force for season three. And I know that the ratings weren't the best for Sleepy Hollow in season two. I get that. But they were building towards something. And now basically what they're going to do is they're going to forget everything happened. It seems like. And I don't understand how you could do that. Headless Horseman. Yeah. When you think Sleepy Hollow, you think Headless Horseman. And I still think he was a good character. Not having him there. Not having Orlando Jones there, that's going to be weird because Orlando Jones was kind of a big plot device in the police department in Sleepy Hollow. So not having him there, I don't know how that's going to work. And uh, not having Holly there, fine, I can do without that. They teased in Season 2 that Ichabod kind of had a relationship with Betsy Ross, so bringing her in is fine. But okay, are we forgetting what happened in Season 2 and previous or not? Or are we going to kind of weave that in? That's what I'm am kind of confused by this whole thing, because if they're bringing Betsy Ross in, that leads me to believe, okay, we are still going to go back. And getting Corbin's son back in there, who was a windigo. you remember at some point, Sleepy Hollow fans. You call yourself Sleepy Heads, and I love that. So you bring that back in, fine. So you bringing some stuff back in, but writing other stuff out and pretending it didn't happen. As long as they don't pretend it didn't happen. As long as in the first episode or two, you give me a reason why none of this stuff is going on then I could be okay with it. But if we're just going to push it to the side and pretend it never existed, I've got a problem with that because you can't do that in an ongoing series moving in to season three of a show. And, and they're going to do a crossover, The Bones, which I don't get at all. Other than a, a pathetic grab for ratings, I don't see how that fits at all. So I'm just worried, man, because I love the show. Tommy Minson is fantastic, as Ichabod Crane. I can't even stress that enough. That he is so good. So I do not want this show to go the route of Heroes did back in the day where it just starts to get weird and unnecessary because I really want this show to keep surviving. I love it.
2: I look at the Headless Horseman as this. I look at him the same way I view Hydra and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You have... Now, I haven't watched the show Sleepy Hollow, so I'll admit that right off the bat. However... You've had two full seasons of The Headless Horseman. How many more could you really get? Well, the thing about Soulja Hollow is... Let me finish. Let me finish. Until you get to the point where, okay, we're tired of Hydra. We want somebody else. Now we've got the Inhumans on S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, at some point, you have to move on and introduce new show elements before a show really starts getting stale because it's like, oh, shit, here comes The Headless Horseman again.
1: Well, here's the problem, though, and i got to cut you off now because he's not the big bad in Season 2. Right, but still. He's more of a, oh, he's still here kind of guy. Season one, he's the big bad, period. He's the one you have to deal with. Season two, he's a device in season two, not the big bad. Whereas Hydra is always that big bad, it seems like. And it's like, okay, let's move on.
2: But in a sense, though, you demote him down to a plot device or some sort of device within the show... They're already phasing him out. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, they were... doing
1: doing it that way with him was good. Right. You want to phase him out of season three? I'm okay with that. But you can't, after what happened at the end of season two, just be like, you know what happened? You know all that stuff? Forget about it. We're not dealing with that anymore. You can't. The way they ended it, you can't do that. So if they don't deal with it, it's gonna be weird. <laughs> it's just gonna be weird. I'm okay with not having the headless horseman there because I agree. I think at some point you got to move on you got to well, have a
2: different story. I think a lot of people, before we went on to our next story, a lot of people, I think, have problems with this because, again, you think Sleepy Hollow, you think he has horsemen. It's kind of like you took Green Goblin out of Spider-Man, you took Joker out of Batman, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I, and I totally get that. I know that that's kind of a, a crutch for that main storyline, but I think moving forward they could have done without him, without making all of these wholesale changes and deciding – that this is a, that they're going to go a completely different direction. And I know there's a new showrunner, so you know, it's like, you know, the new coach comes into the organization, they want their guys, he wants to put his own stamp on the show, and I totally get that. I just hope that we're not completely forgetting and shoving aside stuff that happened in season two where, yeah, it had its slow points, but you ended on a certain note. And I think that in, in any good show, you got to at least pick up on it a little in the first episode or two before you just move on entirely. And I actually think that that's something that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has done very well where, okay, we're done with this now. We're going to move on to something else. But they address it early on in that next season.
2: I want to see how this affects... The comics and oh, you go over Bob's over Fancy Escape and you go get your Sleepy Hollow comic. I want to see how not having a Horseman affects the comic in a sense. Now, I'll let, you, let you what you want to say.
1: No, I, I think that that's a good point too because they haven't really used the Horseman a lot in the comics, so maybe that's one of the reasons why they decided not to go with the Horseman. ...in the show. I don't know if they're going to make it more like the comics or vice versa or not, but the comics have definitely struggled to be like the show. I think Marguerite Bennett did a great job writing the comics and trying to make them their own, but at times the, the dialogue with the characters didn't match with the comic and the show, and I thought that that was one of the problems possibly with one of the comics. But one thing that has no problem selling copies, Nick, is Attack on Titan, because, man, did we get some news from that this past week.
2: Oh, yeah, so Hajime Ishiyama's Attack on Titan manga has surpassed 50 million copies in print worldwide in sales. Now, Godansha Comics revealed last month that the English-language edition of the manga has... million copies in circulation. The Japanese version of the manga had 44 million copies in print as of April. And if that's not enough, Toho is estimating the first Attack on Titan live-action movie will earn a total of 5 billion yen, which is actually about 40.3 million U.S. dollars in Japan. Of course, the first two live-action Attack on Titan films opened on 427 screens across Japan this past Saturday. The second movie, Attack on Titan, End of the World, Opens on September 19th. Now, this is a series, again, we reviewed it shows ago, that I really enjoyed. And I just love that this series has so much, like, success because it is a really good series to the point where I really hope there's an Attack on Titan serial where the marshmallows are humans.
1: <laughs> that would be kind of morbid and cool at the same time. It would be amazing. Um, I, I, I enjoyed the series, too. As somebody who doesn't typically enjoy anime, I, I gave it a shot, and I was pleasantly surprised by the series and how, how good it was and how good the story was. So I think that anime has been kind of waiting for that next big thing to cross over here into the States because it's always huge – over in Japan and in the West. So I think that looking for that next big thing in anime to cross over to the U S and I think attack on Titan could be that new launching point that kind of makes Americans fall in love with anime again. Now I know that there's going to be some people listening right now. that are big anime fans here in the States saying, Oh, anime already is big in the States. You just don't oh, know yeah. anything about I, it. I've known those people, man. I well, guess what? Them. Unless everybody knows, Not enough people know, okay? Right. Everybody knows who Batman is, okay? It doesn't matter what you love. Everybody knows who Batman is. You walk up to normal people on the street. They're maybe kind of nerds. You know, you kind of dip your toe in the water a little bit. They don't know what Attack on Titan is. They don't know what anime is. I think that Attack on Titan could be that next familiar thing. Just like Pokemon was that huge crossover that ended up being big in the States. I think that Attack on Titan very well could be that thing.
2: Well, here's the thing is, the reason why I think Attack on Titan, even though a lot of people might not know about it, is that I think a part of also plays part in the media coverage that it's not getting. I, I think that not a lot of media coverage is being spent on it, other than, yeah. again, talking about the $50 million, You know, when it reaches a, a landmark kind of thing, or like, hey, there's going to be a Attack on Titan you know, ride or theme at a, at a theme park, and... Uh, hey did you see that commercial for like Lexus or whatever they had attack on Titan you know yeah. Titans in it yeah. and that's the thing it's kind of like outside of that it doesn't get a lot of praise or not a lot of mention which I think is kind of sad because again this is a really really good good show and a really good anime uh, altogether and it's,
1: and it's not weird that's the thing that I like about it and I'm just gonna I'm gonna go out there and say it you can kill me on Twitter all you want some anime stuff. Is just weird for the sake of being weird. I'm sorry, it is. But Attack on Titan is not weird for the sake of being weird. It's actually a good, driven story that that I really enjoyed. So I was surprised that I got into it as much as I did.
2: So you're telling me you're not into tentacle hentai or big-breasted schoolgirls?
1: I can't say that I am, Nick. Oh, well. Can't say that I am.
2: Again, it's at James Ace with him on Twitter, folks. So send him your anger. I
1: comments. can't wait for that, boy. And another thing, I really can't wait for honestly, the Attack on Titan game that was just announced yes for PS4 and PS3 and other consoles nationwide. Because I got to tell you, it's been it's about time. I know that well, they have a 3DS game, yeah. or something in Japan, and now we're finally gonna get a big console version of Attack on Titan. Why has not has this not gotten done sooner?
2: I have no idea. From what I've seen from early responses, that the game's going pretty much—it's kind of going to be like Dynasty Warriors in a sense. It has that kind of feel to it. Uh, but I think that you know, when you look at at, at Attack on Titan, the game, I kind of can't wait to play it. But it, however, part of me thinks, like literally, that is this game coming out because the movie is coming out, or of it course is out. it is. Yeah, And it's, it's going to be Rush production. You all know how those Rush production
1: video games are. You know what I'm saying? I think that they've kind of been working on this. So I think that unlike like the Amazing Spider-Man games and stuff like that that get rushed out for the movies, I don't think this is going to be in that vein because I think that this is one of those things that they've been working on. Plus, you look at this series, it's tailor-made for a video game. Oh, yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, not all movies should be video games. Not all video games should be movies and vice versa. To me, this is an exception because this series is tailor-made. As you watch Attack on Titan, you can see, you're like, oh, that could be an element of the game. That could be an element of the game. That could be the, you're seeing it as you go. There's, it's not like Spider-Man where you go, huh, I wonder how they're going to work this in to be a video game. No, this to me makes a lot of sense, so I'm glad that they finally decided to do it and I, I'm, I'm with you though. I really hope that they take their time, get it right and maybe even just give it its own story. You don't necessarily have to follow the story of the series.
2: Right, exactly. And before we move on to our main topic, final numbers. how many millions of copies do you think this thing's gonna sell at the end of the day? Let's say let's give it a, a date. Hmm. Let's say the second one comes out September 19th. So from now, which is you know early August, first week of August, how many copies of Attack on Titan manga will be sold worldwide up from now to September 19th?
1: It's interesting because th- the knock on stuff like this is that comics never really translate into increased sales for the print stuff. I think, again, this is going to be one of those exceptions. I wouldn't be surprised with the craze of the movie if we could add another $10 million to this number in a month.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see 60 million copies. I can see as much as 70
1: I mean, and that's and that's a different culture too. I mean, we're not talking about necessarily the states; we're talking about Japan. So that's well, a culture that why. dives into. I mean, they dive into everything. When something's popular in Japan, it's on lunchboxes. It's and I knew they do they do that here, but you go bat shit crazy in Japan when something is popular. They put it on everything. There's gonna be Attack on Titan hubcaps. Okay, <laughs> that, this stuff is gonna sell. So. They, they're going
2: to sell us uh, a bunch of steak knives that look like the blades they use in Attack on Titan.
1: I mean, there might even be like, I'll go off the whole cereal thing that you did. What if there's Pop-Tarts shaped like people? <laughs> I mean, you could do it that way. I mean, With like, I like strawberry, red strawberry filling. I don't know. So you paint your face and eat them, I guess. I don't know. But... Uh, <laughs> But no, I think that they just dive into stuff that's popular more than we do in our culture they when they go in, they go all in on something, so it wouldn't surprise me if if this thing goes like you said even to seventy million by September.:
2: I can just picture you now with your son in your lap, eating a human shaped tag on Titan Pop tart while watching Cannibal holocaust
1: yeah that uh that's probably not great viewing for children, but uh, <laughs> you never know.
2: Yeah, but that's going to do it for Nerd News. Again, coming up right now is our main topic. we got Tom King, who's the writer, of course, Grayson and the Omega Man. Stay tuned. We're going to learn more about some of the CIA inner workings as well here on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book artist Annie Wu, and you're
0: listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Once again, we have a very special edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast this week because it's not very often. Not only do we get to talk to a great creator, but a guy that was actually a member of of the CIA at one point. Yes, I'm dead serious. It's Tom King. Tom, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Tom. we are giving you a
1: level eight clearance for this interview, too, by
2: the
0: way, so you're good to go. <laughs> Holy crap. All right, all right. Well, these are the following people I, I blew up.
1: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, we also promise not to keep it classified, too, because we kind of want people to know about all your great work, and actually... Oh, we'll, oh,
0: too late! Too late! What did I do?
1: <laughs> we actually wanted to start out talking about Grayson a little bit, because it's a, it's a great book. It's kind of, you know, where you, where you came in to, to D.C. So when you first started sitting down and brainstorming ideas with Tim Seeley about Grayson, uh, how much did your experience in the CIA actually go into devising the plot for the series?
0: I mean, I always copied it like, by saying that I'm not allowed to write about any actual factual... Stuff, the sources of methods that I worked oh, on in the CIA. I worked there for about seven years, um, just for people's background. And I, I did counterterrorism overseas. I was a called an operations officer, um, so it's in charge of or, recruiting terrorists and that sort of thing. Not, not to do terrorism, but to work against terrorism. Of course, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he recruited terrorists to work for the CIA. No, that's not what happened. <laughs> um And so, but so I can't put it. Any, I don't even want to because I have it's not even tempting my friends that still do it i really believe in that job and i believe i was doing good in that job so i don't want to betray that trust but that said the emotional aspect of it and sort of what it feels like to live with a secret identity or what it feels like to be by yourself or not or have what it feels like to have to lie to your friends and family all that stuff i mean i went through that and it's in every word i write so coming from grace I and mean, we first sort of approached it the idea of this guy who's pretending to be dead who has to lie to barbara who's and has to lie to his brothers and his, you know, his third father and Alfred and be away from them and, and be part of this sort of weird spy world that just comes, you know, right out of my life, that kind of stuff.
2: So when you found out what DC was doing with Dick Grayson after the whole Forever Evil arc, what was your first instinct? Did you immediately contact DC and say, hey, I'd like to pitch you this idea I have for Grayson? Or was the other way around when you say, hey, there's a guy with a CIA background who also is a writer. Let's contact him and see if he's interested
0: um, so the, the idea it's, it's a very mystery it's, Celie and I are still trying to figure out the mystery of who first thought of Dick Grayson as a <laughs> spy um, <laughs> we think it's the deal but he hasn't admitted it yet um, so they came to us with that idea super spy Dick Grayson so the, the Ethan Hunt of the DCU and then we had to sort of pitch it from there to make it more interesting than just Ethan Hunt of the DCU and so, we, and my, to be perfectly honest, my first instinct was, yeah, you know, I was on the outside, I, I worked a little bit of vertigo, but I hadn't worked with DC before, I'm like, oh man, I'm a huge Nightwing fan, and they're going to turn Nightwing into this bizarre character, and it's, you know, <laughs> everybody knows DC hates Nightwing, you know, I had all those exact same thoughts that everyone has, so I was probably as skeptical as everyone else, because Nightwing's my favorite character, I mean, they wrote a whole novel that was based on a Nightwing archetype. But then, like, I realized, like, we had a, a brand new editor, and this Mark Doyle was coming out of Vertigo, and Tim Seeley is a fantastic writer, I knew him from his writing, and we started talking about it, and we're just like, well, let's just make it the best Nightwing story we can make it, and and, and go from there. And we're just, well, we're going to write Nightwing undercover, and we're going to write the best Dick Grayson. We're going to use all the stuff we love about Dick Grayson, the fact that he's sexy, the fact that he has his history with Batman, the fact that he's a leader, the fact that he has doubts, but he overcomes them, and he's an entertainer. Um, and then he's the character in the DC universe is actually fun. And so we just decided to write the best Nightwing book we could and call it Grayson, and that's what we did.
1: It's kind of going through the main theme of Grayson, actually, and I've noticed that throughout the issues. And you finally have Dick actually going back to Gotham, and he's still struggling with this transitional phase that's going on with him. So how will going back to Gotham affect uh, Grayson going forward, and could we see Barbara Gordon come to the Grayson book at some point?
0: First question first, uh, Yes, yeah, so he goes back to Gotham in issue 12, because the cover's already out, so everyone knows that. So issue 11, which is coming out next, is the setup for that issue, and sort of what drives him back. They were doing this sort of three-issue arc of, like, how he'd come to a point where he's like, I'm going back to Gotham. And once there, he has to make a decision. Do I stay here? Do I go back to that sort of spy life. Like his mission was he was sent there for a particular mission. That's what the first eight issues were about. He, he was he was to go there and find out what they were doing with these secret identities. He fulfilled that mission. He's supposed to be done. He's supposed to be able to go back and become Nightwing again. That's what he thinks is going to happen when the mission mm-hmm. is over. But when he calls home Bat to say, hey, I'm ready to come home, Batman doesn't answer. So he because Batman's off the grid. Right. Anyone reading Batman knows. So he's going, he's going to go back and just sort of discover what's happened in Gotham af- after he's gone, how that affects his decision. And will he go forward with Spiral or, you know, will he go forward against Spiral now that he knows what he knows? And yes, that all comes out in issue 12. And Bar- Barbara is in that issue and that'll be their first interaction in, I don't know, three or four years. Wow. those characters.
2: So my last question about Grace before we move on to Omega Man, is uh, one thing that gets great about the series is that you don't ignore what happened to the past with with Dick Grayson and what happened for uh, the Forever Evil arc, especially in issue number six where he's pretty much killed off. Uh, so talk about the idea of bringing back Lex Luthor, aka the man who stopped his heart in issue ten. Why did you feel that issue ten was a great place to bring
0: back Lex Luthor into Dick Grayson's life? Well, I mean, I I think they they are they always ha- Lex and Dick had a bit of a, a history of sort of Dick is the one person who doesn't take Lex seriously, you know. So mm-hmm. it's just a fun interaction. And also, again, we're in this place where like Dick is slowly discovering how morally compromised he is. Mm-hmm. By the way, every time you talk about Nightwing, it's just constant Dick jokes. So when I say Dick is... <laughs> just going to move on because it's my life. <laughs> um, so to realize that the spy organization he's in business with is doing business with probably the most evil man in the world, who in turn is currently the head of the Justice League. Yep. Uh, I, mean, I mean, that book is about, like, Dick sort of being like, what the F is going on? And so what better character to bring in the middle and just, like, blow his mind? And I'll They just had good chemistry. Uh, 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 Tim wrote that issue, and I think he nailed it.
1: It's been a great Although he put a lot of
0: ball jokes in there. I happen to be a, a hair-deprived human being, and I'm trying to
1: <laughs> <the real> <laughs> Oh wow, that was a low blow. They just snuck in there. That's on what I'm here. saying
0: that's what I'm just saying Sealy is, is 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 right sturdy. Not, I mean, not, no, no comment against him. But come
1: on. Well, we'll just we'll just shove him to the side then, and we'll talk about Omega Man. Because yeah, Omega hell yeah. Man, forget that. Omega Man's been a, a a great series that just started with the whole DCU movement. There's been going on, so let's talk about uh, the Omega Man and their battle against the Citadel, because you get a real sense of kind of a religious war that's going on between the two sides, and they both feel like they're in the right. So, you know, what does that say about, you know, what's going on in the actual world today? So how would you describe the motive of both groups?
0: So the basic idea is, it's, this, it's the classic story at Star Wars, it's rebels against the Empire. But it's pushing it to sort of this brutal space opera extreme, where these, these are rebels that will do... Anything to beat the empire, and this is an empire that will do anything to beat the rebels. So, we're talking, you know, inside Nazi Germany with the French resistance, and we're talking the um, revolutionary against the British in America, and we're talking a little bit about our current state of affairs of you know terrorists against their opponents, and mixing those all together and coming up with sort of this gray world if you don't know. Quite, who is evil and, and who is good? Or, or, or have the rebels crossed mm-hmm. too many lines in their fight? And, and the empires clearly crossed too many lines to call themselves good. So it's a little bit of a gray world. Seems like a common scene with that in Grayson now I think about hmm. But there's less butt shots, I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would, be, that would be a little awkward considering some of the characters in Omega Man.
0: <laughs> I got to <laughs> speak some in.
2: <laughs> so, in issue three of Omega Men Man*, Princess Callista has an early fight with a being named Tigor or Tigor. Uh, How much of that scene was kind of and when I was reading that those panels? How much of those panels was kind of influenced by what happened in the Colosseum back in ancient Roman times with the gladiators?
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's where that comes from. It's just sort of a one-on-one fight, and one of these people are they're going to die. There's no rules in this fight. Like, you can do what you can. Yeah, so I think it. it It comes right out of that. It's also influenced, I mean, those panels, uh, there's an old issue of um, Steranko, where he has Nick Fury fighting, you know, the random bad guy that Nick Fury's fighting, and has it in that sort of nine-panel layout of them going back and forth like that. So I think the ultimate influence is that sort of gladiator-style fight, and then the style influence comes from Steranko.
1: Yeah, definitely. That was some great action scenes in the beginning of that, of that third issue. And actually, that third issue with Princess Callista is also a big twist at the end that involves Promise. We don't want to give it away because we want, of course, people to go out and get this book. But given that, how big of a role will she play going forward? And is she kind of the key to bring Kyle Rayner to the side of the Omega Man?
0: She'll play a huge role. She's probably the second character next to Kyle Rayner in the series. And maybe even the first above him. So, so her entrance was delayed a little bit because I wanted it to be a huge entrance. I wanted it to be big. So that's what issue three is. It's sort of like, here's the main character of the book coming on stage. It's um, you know, going into the bar and meeting Han Solo for the first time. The fact that he's not there from the very beginning means like, who the hell is this guy when we get to him, right? Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, she she she's gonna play a, a major role. And yeah, and and her they have this plan. It's a mysterious plan. I haven't given it away yet, but you'll find out by issue twelve of what kyle what they're gonna use kyle for what kyle's role in this whole thing and that's her plan she came up with it oh i'm spoiling stuff crap i'm sorry read the issue but it's so fantastic you to it.
1: <laughs> people but are gonna read the issue if they've read the first two issues you're not gonna be able to not read on i can tell you that right now
0: that's what i'm saying i'm just saying she she, she she'll play a role in kyle's development i guess is the way to put it yeah see, i love that character calista the princess of the sword who
1: can oh yeah was so cool Right? Oh yeah, definitely.
0: I knew I knew who her character was when when I had her facing off, and there was just like a sort of Mexican standoff of of, of two people and scraps. Of the other character, Love, has her guns, and Calista has her sword. And I'm like, what was Calista do with this moment? i was like, oh yeah, she just picks up her sword, gets shot, and throws it at the other person.
1: Yeah, right. She's that was probably the coolest. Any other way, right. That was probably the coolest panel in that <laughs> book too. It's got kind of like very Zorro esque too. Yeah. So
0: yeah, he's just like yeah.
2: Oh yeah. So as this as without giving too much away. Uh, as the series progresses, are we going to kind of see how Calista kind of maybe got to where she is? Like how, you know what I'm saying? Where episode, where issue three starts off, are we
0: going to see maybe later in the series how that all came to be? Yes. That's, that's the point of, of, of going forward. Each, each, each hero will sort of get a little spotlight with that, that highlights sort of their origin and where they're coming from. And issue four is, and it was planned this way from, from day one, we're bringing in another artist and we're going to, the whole thing's written on this sort of nine panel, very strict grid. And issue four, we're going to blow up the grid and tell these detailed background origin stories. And issue four will center on Kyle and Callista and their relationship. So you're going to find out a lot about those two characters in the next book.
1: Wow. That's very cool. We're definitely looking forward to that. And you've talked a lot about the characters that are in this book and there's so many unique ones that you sort of bring to life. So who's your favorite character to write in this series
0: and why? Uh, scraps. That's, uh, this is like a close second. Um, I don't like them all, but yeah, Scraps is basically based on my daughter, who's five years old. So um, this is what my daughter would be like if someone gave her guns. Uh, she would be, <laughs> yeah.
1: That's a hilarious and frightening like, like, thought, like, Tom. Like, I'm not gonna lie. It is.
0: It is. It is. It is, it, it, it is a horrible and frightening thought. But like um, my my daughter is like she refuses to conform anything anyone says she should be. She's going to be outside playing princess in a princess dress in the dirt with superhero characters. And you, and you can be like, it's time to go outside. She's going to yell at you, no, you know, this is, this is, I need to rescue Superman first. You know? Like, like she just takes no shit. And so uh, th- that's the same with Scraps. Like, like she just, I am. So when I write that character, uh, I just love writing. And she's also the, she has the funniest, she's the funniest character to write. So like it's to lighten up a little bit in this sort of dark book.
1: So
2: I love Ta- that
0: character.
2: So Ty, we want to thank you for coming out today. Where can people reach you on social media?
0: Uh, I'm on this Twitter, um Tom King T K, so my name and my initials. And then I'm on the Facebook, I think I'm Tom King author or something like that. You can Google Tom King comics, it'll come up.
1: Well, again, we want to thank you for coming on this week. Of course, Grayson number 11 is going to be out August the 26th. Omega Men number 3, as of you hearing this interview, by the way, is at your local shops and available digitally right now. But, of course, we also want to let people know Sheriff of Baghdad from Vertigo is going to be coming in December as well, and I know that we're really, really oh. looking forward to that one.
0: Oh, thanks, guys. Hell yeah for mentioning that. Yeah, that's, that's another one like my child. Yeah, Sheriff of Baghdad comes down December. I just finished well, issue three yesterday. Um, we're really excited and, um, about that, too. I, I don't too. think it's going to be like anything in the show. Thanks, yeah, man. Definitely. I appreciate it. So yeah, we'll, we'll definitely, like to have you,
1: yeah, we definitely like to have you back on to talk about Sheriff Baghdad, because I think it was probably from SDCC, the one that stuck out to me the most. And we're talking, of course, about the guy who is not going to shut us down because he's no longer a member of the CIA. It is Tom King. I'm Tom, right. thank you so much for coming on the show this week.
0: Thank you, guys. What a pleasure, man. I really appreciate it.
2: Well, I think we've all been debriefed after that uh, that interview. That was a great, great interview, man. Very, very informational. Uh, again, thanks to Tom King for stopping by. And that was just that was so much fun, man, to actually talk to somebody who used to be in the CIA and now goes from that to writing funny books.
1: I mean, think about it. That's that's the thing. I mean, he brought such a unique perspective to that book that not everybody can bring because you can't, not many people could say that they were actually in those situations. And he was talking about, you know, times where he actually had to lie to his family and keep things from people that, that that he loved. And it was really hard. And, and he brings that into Grayson. And that's one of the reasons I've always loved reading Grayson because it just seems, it doesn't seem forced. It seems so true to what the author's trying to write. It's definitely coming from a place of experience. I always appreciated that. And I got to tell you, uh, I'll be totally honest, Omega Man was way better than I expected. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it was, was huge. Not that I expected it to suck, but I mean, as somebody who um, didn't read a whole lot of Green Lantern the the newer stuff anyway, yeah. I was when I was reading this, I was like, this is really cool. It's like Hunger Games meets Star Wars. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I love that he mentioned that it's
2: a space opera. You know, I'm, I, I'm somebody who does read a lot of Green Lantern, and it's just it's one of those things where I'm like, I love reading this, because it's just it's kind of that that more kind of darker side, but yeah. really more mature side that we really see. And it's such a, a great eye-opening experience, especially we're not going to spoil anything that happened, it happens in issue three. But when you get to the end of the book. You're like,
1: wow. Yeah, I mean there was a lot of wow moments in this series so far, and I love that it that it very much parodies the religious wars that are going on in the world right now, too. Uh, I'm not gonna get into specifics there, but it's definitely a social commentary on that as well. And I think that's one of the cool things about comics is that we can do that and, and shine another light on it and put our own spins and perspectives on things. It was just so amazing. I can't wait to see more Princess Callista because that that is a cool character.
2: Exactly, man. I just can't wait to see, you know, how this thing progresses again. Go to your local shops, you can go online and purchase it as well. Get it digitally. It's a great 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 series. We'll have really, links. Really
1: awesome. We'll have links up on com on the this week section of our website. You will be able to purchase Omega Man 1, 2 and hopefully 3 as well. On our website when the time comes because it is a, it is a series that if you weren't paying attention to it before, trust me and you know we don't just say this you I think we have a pretty good track record you need to be on this yeah because it is a very very intriguing story and it does not drag at all
2: yeah exactly man I mean it's so much fun again thanks to Tom King for coming on thanks to D- our friends over at DC for hooking us up thanks to Clark over at DC as well, our buddy over there for helping us, getting us together. And uh, that's going to do it. And again, thanks for time coming on. But as always, I leave you with this. Practice safe comic greeting, reading. Always bag and board your comics.